Imagine looking outside your window. Your house is perched on a large dwell city, and you are looking out into the vast expanse of the countryside. You're tired, restless, and sick of your existence. The life you live is not one you chose. Your options are so limited. You're a woman, a prostitute, and you survive being something you hate. The course of your life set in motions years before, without any say in the matter, and you long for something different. Once again, your eyes scan the countryside as if salvation lies beyond these walls, built to keep others out, but yet keep you locked inside. And your eyes adjust to the sun, and you see two figures walking towards the city, cautiously approaching the gate. And they seem out of place. You call out to them and invite them into your home. You look, they look up, your eyes meet, and in them you see something you've never seen before. Hope. Imagine your surprise when you open your door and find these men standing there. Quickly pulling them inside, you scan the area to make sure no one saw you. Trembling, you take their outer clothing and usher them into the safety of your world. But you know they are not safe. The entire city is afraid, and fear is the undercurrent of daily life in Jericho. Word spread quickly when Moses, the man most feared in all of the world, stood across the Jordan River and looked over to it, and God told him that this is the land I promised To Abraham and to his descendants, even though you yourself will never set foot inside. And when Moses died, the Israelites mourned for him. And then Joshua took command. And the marketplace is full of stories of how the Israelites inch closer and closer day by day to the Jordan River. And here before you stand these men sent by Joshua to spy out the land and to bring him back a report. They bring danger to your home, and the street is electric with speculation. And the roar becomes louder and louder, and you fear something dreadful is coming. And so you grab the men by the hand, and you lead them up to your roof, and you hide them under stalks of flax. And then there's banging at your door. And so you calm yourself, and you bring your breath down so that you can appear calm when answering. And yet you stare into the armored-clad chest of the king's guards. Bring out the men who entered your home, they demand. Don't you know that they are there spying out the land? And fear washes over you, because these men are hiding on your roof. And these men are here to spy out the land. And these men, when they come back with the Israelites, will destroy the city, including you. And you have a choice. Do you hand these men over to the king's guards and earn his favor? Or do you remain silent, risking everything to help them? And yet when your eyes met, you saw in them a way out. For the first time when your eyes met, you saw hope. And so you make up your mind and you send the guards chasing ghosts. And they leave off on the road to the Jordan River, and the city gates are shut, and no one comes, and no one goes. And you question if you made the right decision, 
You pace, mull, and think, trying to figure out your next move. And then images of the strange people called the Israelites start flooding your mind. You heard how millions plundered Egypt when they came out as slaves. And you heard how the waters of the Red Sea parted and they walked through on dry ground. And you heard how everyone standing against them is completely destroyed. And how Egypt, the mightiest power on earth, was drowned in the sea. And these images whirl in your mind until the seeds of hope that planted itself in your heart the moment you saw the spies approach begin to spring to life and grow. And in this moment, you know what to do. So you run to the roof and you run to the men and you say, I know the Lord has given you this land and a great fear has fallen on us so that the entire city is melting with fear Because the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. And so please swear to me by this God that when you come back to destroy the city, you will save me and my family. And give me a sure sign that you will, that what you say is true. And holding your breath, waiting for an answer, you place your entire existence in the hand of this unknown God. And they look at you, and they study your face, and they're quiet, they're pensive, they're thinking. And they look into your very soul as if reading an open book. Finally, one of them speaks and says, our lives for your lives. If you don't tell what we're doing, then we will save you and your family when we come back. Only tie the scarlet cord in the window. And your heart soars because that promise is enough. And so you grab the scarlet cord and you throw it out the window, which lets them escape down the city wall. And you tell them, go to the hills and hide for three days and then go back to your people. And they call up to you as they descend the massive walls. Tie this cord in your window and bring the entire family into your house and keep quiet about what happened here today. And so you look down at the scarlet cord in your hands, agreeing to the oath before it even makes sense in your mind. And then you wave goodbye, heart soaring, desperation gone, because you have a way out. Your redemption is coming, and you tie the scarlet cord in the window. Who doesn't love an epic blockbuster story? This summer, we're spending the entire season looking at God's big picture story of redemption. We're going to look at several stories scattered throughout the Bible of how he rescued and redeemed and revealed himself to normal, everyday people just like us. And sometimes his stories include entire nations, and sometimes this redemption reached down for just one person. And today, we're going to look at a miraculous rescue and show how one person's faith changed the course of history. But this is God's story. He is the hero, and he invites us to be a part of it. And if you haven't figured it out, today's story is about a woman named Rahab. And her story is found in Joshua 2. And I invite you to go home and read her account today. Because her story is a remarkable story of faith and courage. God used Rahab, a woman, a prostitute outside of his covenant people, 
the people he chose as his own and grafted her into the main vein of his story of redemption. And what I love about Rahab is she figured out a few things about God that so many of his covenant people lacked. And so I want to spend a few minutes today looking at her example of faith and how we can take these things and apply them to our own lives. And whether you're part of God's people or like Rahab merely observing from the outskirts, she has something to teach us today. What Rahab teaches us is how to use faith. She demonstrates marvelous principles to use when times are bad and situations are desperate. But more importantly, these things can be applied to normal, everyday life, and we will see the results of faith working. So I'd like to share four faith principles with you from Rahab, and they're simple. But applying them takes a little work because it's a paradigm shift in thinking. The world we live in doesn't encourage us to live by faith. In fact, it discourages us. And we have to learn how to exercise our faith just as we would exercise our muscles. So here's the first principle. First, faith pleases God. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Jesus, when surrounded by throngs of people pressing him for a to-do list of what God requires, answers them this way. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The only work God requires is to believe in the one he sent to redeem. The only work God requires is to believe in Jesus, period. But believing takes faith, and faith pleases God. He wants you and I to trust him, to trust what he says to us, and to put all of our eggs in one basket, his basket. But that takes faith. Some things are easier to believe in than others. I guarantee you it was not hard for Rahab to believe that an army was coming. She could probably look out from her vantage point on the wall, and see the army assembling across the Jordan River. It wasn't hard to believe. It was probably not hard to believe that the God of Israel was real either. I imagine she grew up stories, hearing tons of stories about this God and his miraculous rescue of Israel. Compared to her dead idols made of wood and stone, the existence of this God was probably not hard to believe in either. However, it was probably very hard to believe that this God of Israel cared about her and a promise made to her by the Israelite spy. I don't care who you are, that takes faith. That is trusting in something unseen, which is the hardest thing God asks us to do. Rahab, who didn't know God, who only witnessed him from an outside perspective, took the promise made to her by the Israelite spy, took the scarlet cord, the token or reminder of that promise, and then had to live it out, even though the situation seemed impossible, that she would be rescued once the Israelites came to destroy the city. That's faith. She had to put her faith completely in one promise and nothing else, and God was honored by it, and Hebrew says he was pleased by it. Where are you struggling to let go and believe God's promise to you? I wonder how many of us this morning are being asked by God to trust him for things that are unseen right now. I imagine quite a few of us. But see, this is the work of God for his people. And Rahab cheers us on. 
Faith pleases God. Nothing pleases him more than when we can put our hope and trust and believe his promises to be true regardless of the circumstances. That's the first principle we learn from Rahab. Faith pleases God. Here's the second. Faith combats fear. Fear is the opposite of faith, but how many of us know that faith and fear can coexist at the same time? We just have to be disciplined not to let fear overtake faith, but rather let faith lead us. And Rahab is the perfect example of this. She told the spies, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting with fear because of you. Melting with fear. From the adjective she uses, we see she's afraid. We see the entire city is paralyzed with fear to the point of being at a standstill. And when I think about being paralyzed with fear, I think about a time when I was 14 years old. Now, this was before I had my permit or had learned to drive, and my parents were gone for the weekend, so I was home alone with my older siblings. You know where this is going, right? My sister and I decided it was time for me to learn how to drive. And what better place to learn to drive was in our than our neighborhood streets in a 1976 Chevy Monte Carlo, roughly the size of an ocean liner. Here's a short synopsis of this story. I started my first driving lesson in our streets. I finished that very same lesson in a neighbor's yard inches away from their tree. They were all standing outside, mouth wide open in shock. My sister, cool as a cucumber, gets out of the car, walks around apologizing to them about the boat in their yard, gets in, backs up, and drives away. It was amazing how cool she was through this criminal behavior. I, on the other hand, wanted to die. I was so scared that they were going to call the police. I spent the rest of the weekend peering out our front porch windows waiting for the cops to show up. I was terrified of being caught. I don't care who you are, waiting in fear is one of the most worst things you'll ever do, isn't it? I imagine some of you are waiting in fear right now for God to come through for you in some kind of miraculous way. It is hard. Jericho is melting with fear. Rahab tells the spies that the city's courage has failed and they are afraid at what is coming. But the difference is, is that Rahab doesn't let her fear keep, keep her from making a deal with the spies. She puts her faith in the idea that this God is powerful and might just be willing to save her if she helps them. And when the spies make a promise to Rahab, they give her three conditions to make this little promise binding. They tell her first, hang the scarlet cord out the window. And then the spies escape on this cord, and this cord is a token or a reminder of this promise. And secondly, Rahab is supposed to bring her father, mother, brothers, and sisters, and everyone who belongs into him inside her house. And third, they're to remain quiet about what happened with the spies. They're not to tell anybody. Three conditions. Sounds simple, right? Wrong. Can you even imagine how hard and difficult it would be to keep your entire family quiet while all of this is happening? This brings me to the third principle of faith that we can learn from Rahab. First, faith pleases God. Secondly, faith combats fear. And third, are you ready for this? 
Fear blabs, faith speaks. Out of everything, this is what I want us to take away today because this will have the greatest impact on our lives. Fear blabs, faith speaks. What do I mean by this? What I mean is that if fear will talk you out of God's promises, then faith will talk you into them. If fear will talk you out of God's promises, then faith will talk you into them. Israel knows this firsthand. Forty years prior, Moses sent 12 spies to scope out the very same land they're about to conquer. And he asked them to bring back an account of the land and the people because God had promised this land to Abraham 400 years prior. And when they came back, they reported to the entire assembly, we went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And they should have stopped there. But they didn't, and the result was devastating. Because ten of the twelve spies stood before the assembly and blabbed. The people who live there are powerful, the cities are fortified and very large, and we even saw descendants of Anak there. Basically, the people are giants, blah, blah, blah. And they go on to give fear and power to the fear in their hearts. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Blah, blah, blah. They projected their own assessment of themselves onto the Canaanites, but it simply was not true. What they spoke was not faith. It was fear. And the account says that the spies spread an evil report throughout all of Israel. And that voice fear is all it took for the members of the community that very same night to raise their voices and grumble against Moses, Aaron, and God, saying we should go back to Egypt and we should go back to slavery. That is fear. They were looking at themselves in regard to the task ahead rather than looking at the promise from God that that land was going to be their inheritance. And the result is the entire generation wandered in the desert for 40 years and never set foot on the promised land. They died in the wilderness. But now it's up to their children to lay a hold of the promise that God has for them. And they're ready to conquer Jericho. And when Joshua has them marching around the city, the thing he tells them is do not say a word. Being one of the 12 spies, Joshua knows firsthand the devastation that comes from idle, fear-filled words. And so he makes the march in absolute silence. In contrast, let's imagine what happened in Rahab's house as they're waiting for the Israelites to conquer the city and to bring them out. When she hid the spies, they laid out three conditions. Hang the scarlet cord in your window. Have the entire family inside the house and keep quiet about hiding the spies. And I remember hearing this story in Sunday school, and I always pictured it this way, that as soon as she hid the spies and they escaped, the Israelites came the very next day, conquered the city, and then they were rescued and redeemed. But if you read the account, there's a few things that happened in between the time she hid the spies and the time they came back and defeated the city. First, the spies hid in the hills for three days. Second, the entire nation of Israel miraculously crosses the Jordan River. Then they build an altar and worship God. And then all the male population gets circumcised and takes time to heal before they're in fighting condition. 
And then they celebrate Passover, which is at least a seven-day celebration. And that's when they start marching around the city for six days and then seven days on the, or seven times on the last day. So we're talking at least three weeks time, more like four, could even be more. That's a lot of time to let fear blab. Imagine you're Rahab and you see the flooded Jordan River stop flowing as soon as the Israelites priests set foot inside. And then you witness the entire nation crossing on dry ground. And I don't know about you, but I would have been like, how are we possibly going to escape this destruction? All I have is a scarlet cord hanging out my window, and why did I not get this in writing? And I can imagine that if I'm afraid, my family, who has no firsthand knowledge of the agreement, only what I've told them, would have a few choice words to say if given the option. If she gave voice to fear, it would be over, period. Everyone would panic and start looking for a way to save themselves. But Rahab is a woman of faith, and she is putting her faith in the promise of redemption. She is putting her faith in the God of Israel. And so I can imagine that every time doubt starts flooding her mind, she would look over at that scarlet cord and remind herself of the encounter with the spies and how this cord was a lifeline to her salvation. And I imagine that every time a family member wanted to leave the house and join the ranks of those preparing to defend the city, she would take them aside and recount the full story of how she helped the spies and they promised to save her and her family. And I imagine that any time someone commented on the strength of the massive walls, questioning the idea if Jericho could be defeated, she would recount all the stories she heard growing up about the Israel, Israel and their God and how he brought them out of Egypt. She had to continually speak faith. She had to remind herself of the promise made. And she had to fully convince herself it was true. Remember, this is God's work for us, to believe in his provision. This takes faith. He remembers his promises to us, but we have to use our faith to fully convince ourselves they are true. And this is how Rahab did that. She used her words to combat fear. Proverbs says the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it eat of its fruit. Your tongue, your words, have the power of life and death. We can speak life Or we can speak death. The Israelites spoke death 40 years prior and died in the wilderness, even though God promised them that land. And Rahab spoke life and became the woman remembered for her faith. This is the most simple faith principle there is, but it's the hardest to actually apply because there's something inside of us that wants us to tell it like it is, to state the obvious, to say what is true and what is real and talk about what is seen rather than what is unseen. But it takes real courage and discipline to speak what God has promised, regardless if we've yet to experience it. Where have you let fear have a voice? Where can you immediately apply this principle of speaking faith? The beautiful thing is, is we can start this practice right here today. No special book or class needed. We just start speaking faith and promises instead of letting fear have a voice. When we can speak faith and promises and life in a situation, 
then the payoff is huge, which is the last thing we learned from Rahab. Faith has a big payday. My grandfather, part of what Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation, was a World War II tank commander under General George Patton. And my grandfather, in the Battle of the Bulge campaign, saw a U.S. soldier get hit and go down behind enemy lines. And so he jumped from his tank, and he ran to the wounded man, and he stayed with him until the line broke and both were rescued. And recounting the story to me years later, he said as many battles as he was in, he was never as scared as he was while he was waiting to be rescued. He received the Bronze Star for this act of valor and then returned home when the war was over to live his life in peace, surrounded by nine children, lots of grandchildren, and hundreds and hundreds of great-grandchildren until his death. And there is something awesome about the legacy of courage he yet left, and yet it does not compare to the payday Rahab experienced because of her faith. After the Israelites marched around the city, The last time, and the walls imploded, Rahab and all who were with her were saved. And the waiting paid off, and they were redeemed, the only ones rescued from the destruction, and then welcomed as a part of God's people, living the rest of their lives among them. And Rahab is celebrated three times in the New Testament for her faith, and she is forever commemorated in the Hebrews Hall of Fame chapter, chapter 11. And yet at the very end it says this, These were all commended for their faith, yet not one of them received what had been promised. Because God had something better planned for us, so that only together with them would we be made perfect. Sometimes the payoff is right here, right now, and sometimes we can just catch a faint glimpse of what will be. And sometimes the payoff is for future generations. And Rahab experienced both. She and her family were rescued, but that was just the tip of the iceberg of what God had planned through her faith. This woman is the great, great, great grandmother of King David, through whom the Messiah Jesus was born. Jesus' lineage will forever bear the name Rahab, a woman celebrated for her faith. How amazing is that? God's epic story of redemption continues today. The scarlet cord that reminded Rahab of God's faithful promise to her reminds us today that he is willing to rescue, restore, and redeem. And the only thing required is to put our faith in the one he sent and to put all of our hope in that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for letting us be a part of your miraculous story of redemption. I thank you for Rahab and what her example of faith can be for us and how we can see what she did and how she lived and how she used her faith to combat fear and to speak life um, and to see it come to pass where she and her family were redeemed. God, help us identify the places where fear has a stronghold, where the words of fear come out of our mouths regularly. Help us identify those places. And then, God, would you remind us of your faithful promise to us that will combat those situations? Help us apply this principle and help us speak those things and your promises over them. God, thank you for being here this morning and for this message of faith.
In Jesus' name, amen.